Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today through this video, uh, our Wednesday video that we try to do each week, just going over the message. Um, today might be a little shorter video because this past Sunday we just did an intro into Ephesians. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians for a while together, really all throughout this year, uh, but we will break it up some. I think in the summer we have some psalms planned. I think the month of August, uh, the book of Jonah is planned. Then obviously like Christmas time and stuff, we'll focus uh, some thoughts there in line of, with Christmas. Uh, but for the rest of the time, we'll be looking at Ephesians, just taking our time uh, going through it, seeing the truths in it. And so, like I said, this past Sunday was the introduction to Ephesians. And we just looked at the first two verses, really, as the intro. Um, we spent some time talking about who wrote the book, where he wrote it to, who he was writing it to, um, all of those different things. There really is a lot more to say about that stuff uh, that I didn't say on Sunday morning. There is a line of thought today that debates if Paul wrote it for the first, I don't know, 1,800 years of the church. There was no debate whatsoever. That Paul, uh, Everybody said Paul wrote it. Um, but since then, there's been some, to, some debate if Paul wrote it. Reason being, it's not very personal. Usually Paul would write, hey, say hi to this person correct this person and knowing that Paul had spent two years in in Ephesus with the people it seemed odd that he wouldn't have done that in this letter um, but still most people would say Paul wrote this book there's some questions as to if he actually wrote it to Ephesus or if it could have been to Laodicea or if it could have just been a general letter that he wrote to all the churches in the area that he wanted circulated and passed around and that's why there's not specific greetings in it. Um, <clears throat> I didn't feel the need to have to get into all that on, on Sunday, but it's just a little side note. If you want to do your own study, if you're interested in that stuff, you can look into it um, a little bit more. But, you know, we're going with Paul, Paul writing it, focusing on him writing it to Ephesus because it definitely would have been read there, at least to that church. So they would have read it. Uh, it doesn't change any of the truths in it whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> but we see this letter, and like I said, we, we looked only at the first two verses that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and pre peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe a good question to ask you guys uh, today. When you guys in your studies or in your preparation, when you're planning to preach through a book like Ephesians or really any book, I guess, um, what are your first steps? What are your... What are your first thoughts as you approach a book, um, you know, in terms of studying it, in terms of preparing to teach it, anything really, you know, what, what would be encouraging or good for those who are watching this to hear uh, for them as they, as we approach a book like Ephesians, you think? I think one of the things <clears throat> um, is just acknowledging the fact that this, this letter we're reading is 2000 years old, basically. Um, and so trying to bridge that gap um, historically, trying to get the context, yeah. who was it written to, just really basic <clears throat> facts about who wrote it, who was it written to, why was it written, where was Paul at when he wrote this, if we can gauge those things, trying to really reconstruct, reconstruct the setting, mm -hmm. the background, um, what is Ephesus, where was that at, why was it an important city, what was life like there. I think those are really helpful questions to answer because it, it, if we're not careful, it's almost like we think that 
the letter of Ephesians just dropped out of heaven within no historical context. And of course, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but was it was inspired within a, a certain historical context that's important and helpful for us um, to understand uh, this letter. I'm not saying that, um, obviously, you can read the letter of Ephesians without... Um, doing that background and, and still gain insights, I think, that we believe the Scripture is clear. But the more that we understand the background and the setting and all of those various uh, uh, important uh, facts and, and nuances, I think it helps us only further understand what, what Paul's writing and why it's important. So that's kind of where I would begin is to just, uh, you know, sometimes that might just be going to a good Bible dictionary or um, going to a study Bible or a commentary that you trust, or, or whatever that is, and then <clears throat> researching just important stuff like that, the history in which mm -hmm. it was written, and I think those things will help you uh, get a, a good grasp of what you're what you're dealing with. And you bought some Ephesians commentaries that are here that you're selling, didn't you? They're not here yet. Oh, they're not they here, are, but you, they are you, they're on their way. You bought them, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Now I think we would agree the first thing you would should do is read read Ephesians. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, yeah, read it all the way, read it all the way through. Uh, that is important though, because a lot of mm -hmm. people won't do that. You start, well, I guess kind of similar to what we did Sunday. I didn't sit there and read it all through first. We just looked at the first two verses. I tried to summarize it as we went through it. But a good thing to do is mm -hmm. to read it. Yeah. Um, I think. Even listening to it is helpful. You know, uh, there's apps that read the book to you, and it's good to hear it and hear mm -hmm. it read all the way through. It doesn't take very long. You know, six chapters probably going to take like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, something like that at most to to sit there and listen to, um, just to try to get the general idea just right off the bat. Just read through it. But what you said was helpful. I have a commentary mm -hmm. set. It's not always the best commentary set. Some of the Books are better than others, but the setup, the way they have it set is pretty good because it goes exactly with what you were saying. They always have a first section, and it's um, the historical setting. And so they take the passage that they're focusing on and look at it. As, so they try to view it as how would they have read this and seen this in light of their context and everything. Then the next section is called Bridging the Gap. And so trying to um, exegetically and with good hermeneutics and everything, take that and bring it over to us. And then the, the last section is called Contemporary Significance. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like if the author was going to teach on it or preach on it, what would their points be? What would they be looking at? Mm -hmm. And it's just, uh, even if you don't necessarily like everything that they're saying in the commentary, it is a good way to think about it. You know, I'm trying to stay in line with that mm -hmm. and focus on that. It's kind of what you were, mm -hmm. were getting at and what you were saying. Do you do anything else when you approach a, a book on top of those things or anything different? Oh, I mean, whenever I'm first starting, it's, I mean, kind of like what you're talking about, the historical background of it, definitely read through it. Um, I think sometimes if a, I mean, we're talking about a person who's going to approach Ephesians to study it in depth, I'm assuming. So do, getting a general overview of it first is helpful because you can get kind of caught in the weeds mm -hmm. sometimes of, let's look at these two verses for four weeks, you know, kind of thing. Like there might be good things to pull out of it, but... You know, uh, there is a there's going to be a general flow follow to it. You know, through a book like Ephesians, and so getting a good general picture of not just is what is Paul saying right here, but what he's usually how Paul works is he's saying something here to say something there, and he's trying to to get through it in a way. And so, yeah, getting a good general understanding of the whole thing 
mm-hmm. is helpful. Yeah. And getting a bird's eye view before you kind of go in mm-hmm. close is, is a good thing to do. And then, too, like if there's – Ephesians is – is helpful because like you referenced this on Sunday is if there are other places in the Bible itself that talks about Ephesians or Ephesus or things right. like that, getting a good handle on those places mm-hmm. as well, like in the book of Acts, mm-hmm. right. when Paul actually was in Ephesus mm-hmm. or uh, wasn't Timothy in Ephesus? He yeah, was the pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like getting a good understanding of even Paul and his relationship with Timothy mm-hmm. might come into play or something like mm-hmm. that. And, mm-hmm. Um, just going to other places in Scripture that are going to help you see the greater context of this letter itself and maybe when it happened mm-hmm. in the timeline of Paul's relationship mm-hmm. with the Ephesians. Yeah, one of the neat things people might not know, um, but I read I read chapter 19 of Acts and talked about Paul there. But if you read some of 18, what you'll learn is that um, there was a guy, Apollos, in in there before and he was teaching the scriptures and kind of preaching the gospel already and so Paul actually wasn't like the first and so what it says it says when Paul came there he realized they didn't have full instruction and they had and he actually asked them if you read early in 19 he says did you receive the whole uh did you receive the holy spirit when you believed and they're like we're not sure sure what you're talking about mm-hmm. then yeah. so he's like well I got more to teach you then and so actually there had already been some seeds planted some yeah. things had already been done he wasn't going into a situation where people were like mm. jesus we've never heard of this person right before. yeah right. and that, that's that is helpful things to mm-hmm. think about because when i think of paul i guess initially it's like he's going to these areas mm-hmm. where it's just completely unknown mm-hmm. you know he's the first mm-hmm. one there and that's that's actually not the case in right. in this town which is an uh, interesting thing to to know mm. yeah those are good things now one of the things that i brought up uh, repeatedly on Sunday, and we can talk about is <clears throat> we we looked at um, how Ephesians really can be broke up into two sections pretty clearly, chapters one through three, and then chapters four through six. And the way it's broken up is with a couple words that they are important, and I mentioned them uh, is indicative mood and imperative mood. And so the first three chapters of Ephesians is written in the indicative mood. And actually, the indicative mood does continue on through the rest of the book. But in 4 through 6, you start to see an imperative mood start to be shared as well. And so what what that means is in the first three chapters, we have a lot of Paul telling us commands in terms of what God has done. So it's not Paul saying, do this, this, and this, and you'll be good. You know, have faith and you'll be good, or do this and you'll mm-hmm. be good, or all these different things. You just don't, you don't see that in the first three chapters. Now, when you get to chapters four through six, it it kind of it switches, and then you start to have these things about. So, be unified together, right? Have unity amongst yourselves. Um, submit yourselves to each other. Husbands and wives this is how you're. Like all of a sudden, it becomes very practical Mm -hmm. in that sense where it's like if these things that you told me in the first half of the book are true then it's obviously going to have an impact on my life as a whole but what is that going to look like and paul thankfully answers that right he gives all these Mm -hmm. things that are truth and says now this is how you're going to live it out this is how you're going to see it play out Mm -hmm. if this is real in your life and and so it's important to understand because the truth in that is, as Christians, we can't just 
act like Christians. We can't expect people to just act like Christians unless they understand the realities of what God has done for them. You guys mind speaking maybe a little bit to that, of why that is so important? Why is it important for us to know what God has done for us before trying to do the things that God maybe would want us to do? Because frankly, sometimes that gets twisted and it becomes backwards. You know, someone new comes into church and you're telling them you shouldn't cuss. You know, you shouldn't do this with your body. You shouldn't do these things. And we, we start to try to mold them and make them into the image of Christ Yet they don't. They don't have Christ. So maybe you guys want to speak to that a little bit um, of why it's so important to do it the right way. Yeah, I mean, I would say there's probably multiple ways you could talk about this, or multiple challenges. But I mean, one is that you like that new person that comes in as in that example. You could very easily, unintentionally, sometimes even communicate to them a kind of works righteousness of. The way that you please God with your life is is by doing the right things, and that's what all of the focus is put on. Um, and that can that just communicates to people that this is that what it means to be a Christian is to live rightly, yeah. and that's not what it means to be a Christian. It's, it's an implication of being a Christian, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's not what it means mm -hmm. to be one. Um, so and it's kind of fair, though, don't you think, for the outside world to maybe look at Christians and think that is what it's about? Because if we are living out what has happened in our lives, that is probably what they're going to see. They're going to see, well, you don't talk derogatory to everybody. You are kind to people. Yeah. You are going to church regularly. Mm -hmm. You know, you are doing these things. It's just, it's just practices for you, isn't it? That's what it's about. I mean, yeah. it, you yeah. can understand why they would. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And so I think the difference, though, is... When that outsider comes in to become an insider, what message are they hearing? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, when a new person were to come into our church, and if they're very clearly look like an outsider by how they talk, how they dress, how they smell, uh, or something like how that. How they smell? I'd be interested. My smell hear. like cigarettes. So a not? lot of people would say, like, I'm not joking. A lot of yeah. people would try to turn that away and sure. uh, hide somewhere in the parking lot and smoke one before they walk in. You know, and they're doing that because they think. To be a Christian means that I am a morally upright right. person, mm -hmm. and uh, and so. But when they come in, the message that they should hear is not, you know, uh, how have you been doing this week? It should be, here's a reminder of the grace that has been given to you this week, mm -hmm. and because of that grace, now you are free to go and live a life that is honoring to the Lord and glorifying mm -hmm. Him. And, so there's a difference, mm -hmm. I think. And yeah. so, so that's just Absolutely. one yeah, aspect of, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I mean, uh, that's one aspect. Another aspect would be a person who is a genuine Christian, but uh, doing things for the wrong reasons, having the improper motivation for why you would um, live as a Christian in the world being unified and yeah, yeah. or any anything that you could bring out is that it, it could easily only be meant to bring glory to yourself and make yourself look good when really what that's supposed to be is like this this following the Lord and obedience to him is a fruit of what God has done in my life. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so yes, I live this way, but I live this way because God has done something for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me tell you about him and what he's done, not about how great and moral the mm -hmm. person I am. Right. I mean, there's other things you could say sure. too, but I think those are two mm -hmm. obvious ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the power that we have as the church that has been 
given to us. And I think I talked about that Sunday of how, uh, I don't remember right now off the top of my head, but where Paul would talk about um, how he is given this, you know, to the church. I'm sharing this to give it to the church to go and share. That, that message, that power that we have really is only the first three chapters of Ephesians, the gospel, the gospel message of what God has done. Uh, what I don't have to share with people necessarily is chapters four through six. There's not the, the power isn't in that, you know, to tell them, well, you know, if you really want a good marriage, um, you should treat your wife better and you should love your husband better, you know, and you guys should go on a date night and you guys should do these things and it really will help your marriage. That's not the power of the church, right? The, the power of the church would be to tell this couple, you need Christ to be center in your relationship, first as individuals and then together. Has that ever happened in your life? You know, have you ever trusted in the salvation that God offers through Christ? That's the power that we have, is that gospel message. Not, not our uh, faithfulness, not our testimony, I guess you could say. Not, not those things. There's not power in that. There's power in, in the gospel. And so it's important for us then as Christians to know that message. I would say, first of all, to help others to share the good news with others. But secondly, I come across, I feel, a lot of Christians, and even myself, I've struggled with this at times, where it seems I don't know the gospel good enough because it's um, I'm having problems and the problems is me. So I'm struggling with something, let's say, and the problem is I'm not remembering what Christ has done for me on the cross. I'm starting to bear that guilt again, or I'm starting to bear that shame again. And I need to be reminded of the gospel over and over and really know it and really grasp a hold of it. Because again, that is my life source mm-hmm. as a Christian of what is what he did. And we start to slowly base it, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, I think it becomes kind of natural to slowly start basing it on how much tithe am I giving? How much time am I giving to the church? Have I been faithful to church? You know, you start thinking all these things about yourself and you start thinking, gosh, I'm just not a good Christian or I don't even know if I am a Christian. And we have to be reminded like, wait, is that what makes me a Christian? Or is it something else, right? And that's why I think it's it's so important and key how Paul writes here, right? Mm-hmm. That know this, know this to be true then live this out mm-hmm. this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, this is related to what you said, but a little, a little before is, I mean, anybody that would try to approach a book like Ephesians and, and want to skip the first three chapters and just get at the, the meat of it, mm-hmm. which that might not even be the case, I don't think, uh, of the last three chapters, you know, if, if they approach like, okay, how do I, I want to have a good marriage and I'm going to treat this as a, you know, Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through the end of the chapter. I, I want to have a good marriage. This is a blueprint for me to have a good marriage, for, for me as a husband to love my wife sacrificially. Okay, I'll do that. If I do that, I'm going to have a good marriage. Well, that's not, that's not coming at it with the right motivation. That's not what Paul says is even the motivation. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, vice versa for a wife. Or even in chapter 6 when he's talking to fathers of how their, how their conduct towards their children should be, you know, approaching this in terms of a manual for how to 
raise kids right. is going to lead to a lot of frustration. Um, and so when he says in chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's a command to not be so harsh with them that they turn and hate you. And they just are angry and bitter with you all the time because you're being so demanding on them. It's kind of like an outwork and application of it. But, I mean, what kind? What fuels a father to act like that towards his child? Well, for mm -hmm. a Christian, it's to see the kind of kindness and tenderness that your own father has treated you with and, and taught you and disciplined you with. Mm -hmm. And Paul talks about that in the first three chapters of mm -hmm. Ephesians. And the same thing with a wife submitting to her own husband, uh, he says there, as as to the Lord in the way that a church submits to Christ, the kind of what fuels you as a, I guess what I'm getting at is what fuels you as a Christian to live these things out is not the promise of a better marriage or of a more successful parenting model, but what fuels us is the fact that we have seen God do those things to us in Christ, and this is the way He has treated us. And so much of living the Christian life is simply us imitating our Father mm. in the specific applications of what's at hand. Mm. Um, so I just think in terms of thinking of chapters 1 through 3 as the fuel that's going to help you do do those things, I just think is a helpful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. way you think about the, in, the relationship between the indicative and the imperative. Mm-hmm. Mm outstanding um yeah no i think i love this is one of the topics that overall that's really close to my heart honestly is because the the old well the the old writers a long time you know like we don't some people will talk about it today but you know that old distinction between law and gospel yeah um, promise and command and that's what uh some of the old writers would say the whole bible is just split up between promises and commands and one through three is all of God's promises that he's done for us and mm -hmm. gives to us and we receive by faith. <clears throat> and then the commands flow from that. But you're right. One of the things, I, another thing that it reminds me of is um, uh, the fact that our relationship with God in the whole Bible um, is kind of structured around the idea of a covenant um, and a covenant that's, uh, the relationship we seek consistently throughout Scripture is God comes to us, makes promises to us in a covenantal way, says, believe these things, and because I've made this covenant with you now, live this way. Um, and we see it's, it's a picture of that in marriage, but even in marriage, the difference is, is in marriage, we come as two equals in the image bearing of God to come into this relationship to take certain roles. But God is... The creator and i'm the created and yet he comes and swears an oath to me mm -hmm. and so you see even the covenantal structure of ephesians the first half is god saying this is what i will do and have done second half is now in light of that be this way you think about genesis 17 when god comes to abraham and makes a covenant with him he comes to him and says i am god almighty walk before me and be blameless mm -hmm. i'm your god i'm the savior now walk before me be my i'm gonna be i'm your god and you will be my people you see that wonderful relationship and one of the things i think about is helpful whenever we read the scripture through that is because on the one hand we don't think the bible is doesn't place any obligations on us because it does there are commands that we are required to that if we're thankful for the salvation we should want to live this way on the other hand a, a reading of scripture like that 
helps us to remember, though, that the basis for our relationship with God is always in his grace and in what he's done. So it helps us to balance all these various aspects of the Bible so that the Bible is practical and it does give us commands um, and guidelines and principles as to how we are to live, but they're always placed within the context and flow from a relationship founded upon grace in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So it helps balance both of those. And then Ephesians is a perfectly balanced book. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, Scott, you just said earlier about how be like this, like your father is. And that's exactly what Paul says, right? Uh, be imitators of God as beloved children. Roman, uh, Ephesians 5.1. Mm -hmm. So in light of everything you've known now, since you're <clears throat> God's people now, live as God's people. If he is your God, which, I mean, you think about what does it mean for God to be my God? Mm -hmm. That's everything everything. If that's the case, then I'm going to be his children. Mm -hmm. I'm going to live that way. And not because I can do that on my own. That's another wonderful reminder too. The promises of God give everything, but the commands of God do command us to do stuff, but the commands by themselves can never give the power to do them. Mm -hmm. I always have to come back to the promises that, um, that he'll help me um, to do what he commands. Um, and so I think that, that just is a helpful understanding of how we, we come to Scripture and we read it that way. And then it's powerful. It's wonderful because we're coming to a God who does everything for us, but then teaches us to walk yeah. and, and changes us mm -hmm. to where one day we'll be perfect yeah. in the heavens and mm -hmm. new heavens and earth. One of the things I mentioned at the end was talking about, I don't want to say how Ephesians is relevant, but just in our context today of how something that we could see and how um, what Paul is dealing with in Ephesians is the problem of mankind, the problem that we have. And I mentioned how, you know, people throughout history have tried to solve this problem. You know, I mentioned um, education. I've mentioned uh, Marxism. There's psychological things. Um, ones I didn't mention are ones that we would think are good. Capitalism, democracy. Uh, a republic, like these types of things that we might say, hey, these are good things. And uh, yeah, I think we could find, like I said, I think we can find good things in all of them that we talk, that we talk about. But none of them, none of them reach the stature that they need to, to solve our problem. None of them. They all have problems that, that come into play. Capitalism falls short when you have, you know, bosses who are sinners and full of greed, or when you have workers who are lazy and don't want to work and just want, it starts to fall fall apart. And you're like, oh, I thought the system was going to work. Oh, there still must be another problem, mm -hmm. right? There must be another problem because this is falling short. Mm -hmm. Education, let's make them smarter. Let's make them smarter. Something's happening, mm -hmm. right? We're still having, oh, maybe what we're teaching isn't part, isn't exactly right. Or now they're using their education for bad things and not good. Right? Oh man, okay. What Paul's dealing with, and I think something that should bring this home for us as we study Ephesians, is what we are addressing, what the church has been given, the message that we've been given to share, is the actual solution to the problem of mankind. It is. And I know for me, that's one of the reasons I take my job very seriously, because I think it's a very serious matter. Um, I know there's a lot of professions that are highly favored in our society and they're doing good things and i'm thank i am thankful for those people who like uh deal with medicine and make medicine and you know doctors and lawyers and all these different things that teachers and stuff i'm i'm very thankful for but 
I feel as the church, we've been given a very high task that is above all of those things. It's beyond all of those things. Mm -hmm. And we need to be careful and sure to let people know this mm -hmm. good news. Mm -hmm. They're not all going to accept it. I understand that. I know that. But that's not my job. Mm -hmm. My job is to make sure I'm letting people know that there is an answer to the problem that we've been searching for for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And it's in the man named Jesus. Right. It's in him. Yeah. And hopefully we take that seriously and hopefully... Uh, we study to know about Jesus and to be able to share that. Uh, but also, we bring people in to see how it has changed our lives as well. And, and we love on people and care for people because of what Christ has done. And God uses those things. And so I'm looking forward to going through Ephesians together. I, I hope you'll take some time to read it. Uh, just read through it, you know, fully. And then read the passages. I'll have to get better at uh, letting you guys know what passages we'll be looking at maybe the next week. I didn't do that this week, but I'll try to remember to, to do that coming up just so that you'll know uh, where we'll be. But it's really just a few verses, I think, coming up this week. I haven't, I haven't looked yet fully. Um, but yeah, dive into Ephesians. Uh, I trust God will, will bless our time as we're, as we're in it, as we're in it together. So, uh, thank you for joining us today uh, in this video. I really hope that you have a, a blessed week, and I, I thank you for watching. So God bless.